Hello and welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus, receive his love, and look more and more like him each day. Have you ever heard of the phrase, eyes on the prize? That's what we're talking about today. Welcome back. Well, this is not a secret. I have said it so many times, but I am not an athlete. I have zero coordination or athleticism in this body of mine. It was not God's gift to me when he created me, but I did enjoy swimming. And on, I was on our high school uh, swim team. Now in any kind of race, if you've ever run a race or been swimming in a race, there's one thing you need to do, and that is keep your eyes on the finish line. If you get tempted to look to the right or the left, that could be the difference between winning the race or losing by a fraction of a second. You wanna keep your eyes on the prize. You wanna keep your eyes glued to that finish line. Now we're diving back into the passage that we were exploring last week from Ephesians 3 verses 1 to 13 because there was just too much goodness to give it one pass and move on. And so turn with me in your Bibles back to Ephesians chapter 3 verses 1 to 13. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by my by revelation as I have already written briefly. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am the least, I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Let's pray. Well, God, I thank you so much again for this passage of scripture and all of the wisdom and truth that you pack into it. And so as we look at this illustration today of our life as a race as has been laid out, this illustration in the Bible, would you help us to focus our eyes on you? And would you reveal just deeper insight into who you are and who you've created us to be through this passage? So spirit of truth, as always, would you allow that which was breathed by your spirit to say this morning to be spoken, but that which is birthed out of my own ideas or good thoughts, would you just allow that to fade before those words even come out of my mouth? 
We love you in your precious name. Amen. Well, again, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he's reminding them of these core truths, that we have been adopted into the family of God through Christ with the rights and responsibilities as family, as children of God. And this truth, this new covenant that we have with God through Jesus is open to everyone. Then that's exciting news, this mystery of grace, this shared secret that we get to hold on to. But Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus from a place of physical pain, physical discomfort, physical suffering because of the mission that God has sent him on. This missionary work has landed him in hot water with Rome, with the government of Rome. And he states this in verse 13, that his suffering is literally for them. It is literally for this church in Ephesus and others like them, that this good news of the gospel would be preached, not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. And that's what's got him in this hot water. He has suffered for their glory, for the good news of Jesus to be received by them, the glory of having this right relationship with God. And so he is literally writing this letter from a place of suffering for them, on behalf of them, on behalf of God's heart, that they would hear the good news of the gospel and be able to receive it for themselves. And so Paul encourages them from this place of suffering to stay focused on the point of life, to stay focused on the prize, the finish line, and to not give in to the temptation to look right or left. And there are kind of two things that Paul highlights in these verses that tend to sway our gaze to the right or to the left, and that is despair and pride. Both of those things, despair and pride, want to trip us up in walking out this faith journey that we're on. Both despair and pride will cause us to stumble as we follow after Jesus. So the first is despair. Paul's solution, as he's talking about despair, and again, he is in physical pain. He is in physical suffering for the sake of the gospel. And he tells them, don't despair, don't be discouraged, don't lose heart. Paul's solution is to reframe our suffering, to remember that we are those who have a purpose in suffering. There's a purpose that God wraps through everything in our life, all of our failures, all of our lack, all of our suffering, he is the one who's promised to be able to turn things to good. And so Paul takes his suffering, he says, let's reframe this situation. Let's look at the glory of my suffering, the purpose of my suffering. And we see this in verses 12 and 13. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Now, this isn't a new concept in the letters of Paul, and it's definitely not a new concept throughout the word of God in its entirety. Paul continuously encourages the early church to remember that they share the sorrow of Jesus, to be content in every circumstance, to glory in their weakness. Now, William Barclay writes of this, Paul regarded himself as a sufferer for Christ. He did not expect the way of service to be easy. He did not expect the way of loyalty to be trouble-free. To suffer for Christ is not a penalty, it is our glory. 
for it is to share in the sufferings of Christ himself and an opportunity to demonstrate the reality of our loyalty to him. We share in the suffering of Christ. In Isaiah, Isaiah is making this prophecy of the Messiah to come and he calls him the man of suffering. Why did Paul make this such a common refrain? That we can glory in our suffering because we share in the glory of Christ? Because there's nothing that will make us give up faster than despair. Despair urges us to throw up our hands and declare that it will never change. So why bother? Nothing will make us quit faster than despair. And that's why it's so important that we combat the easy gospel. And you probably heard that from us, that we want to recognize that just having faith in Jesus doesn't make your life easy. It doesn't make it all sunshine and rainbows. In fact, there is a cost to count to follow Jesus. Sometimes following Jesus actually makes life harder. And this idea that we have that when we follow Jesus, we just get to sit back and enjoy this nice, easy ride through life, it's not truth. In fact, Jesus himself countered this idea. He said in John 16, 33, I've told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. The lie of despair tells us if God really loved us, we wouldn't have to walk through this. The lie of despair is that God has forgotten us. We've been abandoned to these struggles by the one who's supposed to be our sure foundation. The lie of despair is that if we follow Jesus, this shouldn't be happening. The lie of despair is why bother. And so Paul makes this plea to the church in Ephesus. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged. You might have. I ask that you do not lose heart. And while we may never understand the why behind our suffering, we can stand firm on the truth that no moment of our life is ever wasted in God's care. We can stand firm on the truth that he can take our sorrow, our suffering, our grief, our feelings, and he can move them to good, to reveal the good news of Jesus to those around us and to our own hearts. And so we can rise above despair even in the face of suffering. We can stand firm in the truth that God can and will use this too, this moment of suffering for his glory and his kingdom's sake, just as he's using Paul's moment of suffering for the church in Ephesus to be able to take heart, to not be discouraged. So let's resist the urge to glance towards despair and to keep our eyes on the prize that no matter what we're walking through, Jesus also did. We glory in our suffering because we trust the one who even in his suffering made a way for his kingdom's sake and his glory to be revealed to mankind. And if he could do that through his suffering, he can do it in ours too. And so we resist the urge to look towards despair and to throw our hands up and give in. And we fix our eyes on Jesus. And we know that even though we may never understand, we can trust he has a purpose and a plan for our lives. So we refuse to glance towards despair. But on the other side of our racetrack is a different runner that is also trying to get our focus. And it will trip us up and cause us to fall 
just as fast as despair, and that is pride. The lie of pride is, I earned this seat at the table. The lie of pride says, I've earned this moment in the spotlight. The lie of pride says, why not me? Why them? The lie of pride breeds offense and comparison. The lie of pride positions ourselves above those we've been called to love as ourselves and above those we've been called to esteem above ourselves. The lie of pride shifts everything back to look at ourselves. Paul writes, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people. This grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Paul has every right to be prideful. He was a big deal, but he chose to remind himself over and over and over of this mystery of grace, the gift of salvation, the reality that we are all but sinners saved by grace so that no one can boast. Matthew Henry writes, those whom God advances to honorable employments, he makes low in their own eyes. And where God gives grace to be humble, there he gives all other needful grace. This isn't a character quality that Paul possesses on his own. This is a cultivation, a refinement of his life by the one who is our humble king. Jesus exemplified humility. He put the needs and well-being of others above himself. He washed the feet of his betrayer. He went the long way out of his own way to be able to speak to a woman who was an outcast in her own society. He crossed a lake to be able to free a man who was in bondage to his sin. Jesus modeled humility in service. He is our humble king. And when we remember who we are, that we are those saved by grace alone, those equally guilty and in need of a savior. And then when we remember who we pattern our lives after Jesus Christ, the one who modeled this way of humility over and over and over for us again, that allows us to be able to resist the urge to look to the side and fix our eyes on the pride of our own like deservingness, that's not a real word, and instead be able to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. And when we do, we can run this race with endurance and humility. Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 3 writes, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. There are so many faults in ourselves, aren't there? Left to myself, the only person I want to focus on is me. I want to look out for my own priorities above all things. And faith means looking away from myself. It means 
focusing on the priorities and values of God over the priorities and values of me. It's a continual dying to myself, a continual refining of myself. And so Paul reminds the church in Ephesus that when hard times come, we don't despair. And when good times come, we don't become proud. Instead, we choose to stay focused on who Jesus is and this mission he has called us to. We fix our eyes on him so that we don't become hindered and entangled, so that we don't lose heart because the race is worth running. Well, let me pray for us. God, I thank you that you have set this race before us and it is a race worth running with endurance because this race brings us closer to you. We look like you. We get to see you in action as you change lives around us. What a joy it is to be in a relationship with you. And so would you help us today to resist the urge to look to the right and the left and instead to keep our gaze fixed on you and where we have given in to despair and pride. Holy Spirit, would you refocus us? Would you redirect us to have our eyes fixed on you? We love you. We thank you that you are our example in all things. And it is our delight to follow after you in your precious name. Amen. Well, thank you so much, friends. It is summer and we have so many great things planned to get together um, in August. And so if you're in the Powell River region, I would love to invite you to some of those things. We're going to be setting up at Willingdon Beach one day. We're going to do baptisms at Moet one Sunday. So if you head on over to myevangel.church, you can get the full info on everything that we're doing. And while you're there, would you consider partnering financially with the ministries of Evangel Church? Everything that we do here stems from the faithfulness of God's people. No gift is too big or small, and you can find out all the ways to give at myevangel.church forward slash give. Thank you so much for being here with us. I hope you have an amazing week, and may you set your eyes on Jesus and run fully after him.